Okay, go ahead and get started here. We're coming to the end of the second week of class already. So, coming along pretty quickly here. Uh, we do have one assignment due uh, this week, due today. I guess I put up to August 29th, which is, would be today. Um, that is the first solar observation. If you have that, you can turn it in between classes or after class if you're turning in a paper copy. If you're going to submit it on D2L, go on D2L to the drop boxes there. There is a drop box for solar observations. You will have to submit it as an attachment, meaning you've got to type it up in a Word, Word file or other word processing file and submit it as an attachment. You can't just type it in the box and submit. It will not let you submit unless there's an attachment there. So you have to physically attach it, which is kind of silly for an assignment like this, but uh, you do need to, if you're going to attach it that way, you do have to attach it in, so, in some way there. So that is due today, meaning by 6 o'clock tomorrow morning is considered on time. So if you haven't gotten one yet, it's looking clear now. Hopefully it'll hold up for you and you can hopefully get one, get one today. Um, so I'll take a look at those and I'll have that back, that information back for you on Wednesday when we come back. Quiz 1 is up and available. We'll cover the first two chapters that we've already done. And that is available now through Wednesday. So if you don't want to take it over the weekend, if you want to get it out of the way now, you can do it and be done with it. If you would rather wait, I will give you one more reminder when we come back on Wednesday. Normally they'll be available through Monday, but since we're not going to be here on Monday, I'd give you an extra couple days on, on this one. So that's quiz one. It's 12 multiple choice questions, six from chapter uh, six from the first chapter, uh, chapter zero, and six from chapter one. So there'll be six from each of the first two chapters. Homework one is also due when we come back on, on Wednesday, and then exam one is scheduled for a week from Monday, uh, covering chapters zero, one, and two. So we'll finish up chapter two this week and next week, and then have all, and then we'll have the exam on the Monday the eighth. All right, questions on anything there? Nope, nope, nope. Alrighty, well, picture of the day for today is the Wizard Nebula. So uh, another neb neb nebula here. Uh, something that we will be talking about as part of the course later on. Uh, a nebula like this is actually a region of star formation where stars are forming. You'll see that there's a number of different, all the different coloring here. This is not really a real color image. This is false colored. Uh, each of those different colors represents a different element. So it's looking at the emission, the energy given off by different elements. And in fact, it's hydrogen in the bluer areas than an uh, oxygen in the, I got to make sure I didn't get it backwards. Oxygen in the blue, or sorry, ox hydrogen is the green, oxygen is the blue, and sulfur is the red. So the specific, specific ones aren't important, but they're looking at three different emission from three different elements in this nebula. You'll also see some very dark areas, darker regions here, here, and here. Those are, in this one here, those are the densest areas. That's where there's a lot of dust a lot of material and those are the areas that if you could come back to this in a million years 
That's where you'd see new stars having formed that we cannot see right now. Stars are in the process of forming right now. And over the next hundred, couple hundred thousand years, those uh, little knots there will begin condensing and will actually form, form stars. The stars that have already formed are what is illuminating this. So those stars are emitting lots of energy. And that energy excites all the atoms that are left over from where the stars formed and causes it to glow. So all this is left over from, from the star formation. It'll eventually go away. The stars that form it are slowly pushing that material out, expanding it out into space, pushing it away. And if we could come back in that million years or so, all of this nebula would be gone. We wouldn't see it anymore. It would have been pushed off expelled out into space and all we'd see is a nice little cluster, nice grouping of stars. So we'll talk again a lot more about uh, stellar evolution and star formation coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Questions? No, no, no. Alrighty. Well, let's go ahead and get started on the Next chapter here, this is the last chapter for the exam, so what we're going to look at today, starting today and then all of next week will be chapter two which is on light and matter. Uh, light, we have to, we're going to do a little bit of work on understanding exactly how light works. Uh, light is extremely important for astronomy, it's how we see everything and it's also for the most part with a few very minor exceptions, the only way we can get any information about the universe is by looking at it. So we need that light very desperately to be able to understand anything. It's not like astronomy is a different science than things like chemistry. You know, I can take a couple chemicals, mix them together in different proportions and see what happens. I can do physics experiments. I can, you know, uh, electromagnetics. I can put two electrically charged objects and I can experiment with them. I can't take two planets and put them closer or further apart and see what happens. I can't say, well, what if this star was hotter in the center? What would happen to it? Let's turn up the, turn up the heat inside and what happens to the star? I can't go do that. All I can do is look at what I can see and that is really studying the light that we get from the objects. With the exception of things like moon rocks and samples gotten from Mars, that's about it, and except for a couple little samples that we've been able to, detect, to collect and bring back to Earth to study, everything is done just by looking at it. So quite, astronomy is quite different from other sciences in that way. So here, sort of like our image that we looked at uh, today, this is a little further. The material is getting a little more spread out, and you're starting to see a lot of these bright bluish stars here that are in the process again of pushing back all this material, all this gas and dust. And the little knots at the front here would be probably a denser area where a star is, where stars are, where a star is forming. That's a little less likely to be pushed away. The less dense areas, that just gets wiped out and washed out. So this is sort of a process a little bit further along than what we looked at in our photo of the day today. It's starting to spread out a little bit more, come back a couple hundred thousand years more, and, and more of that material would be dissipated out into space. So what we're going to be looking at is how, how, not how any of this works, that comes up later in the class, but how we understand how we use light and what we need to understand about light to be able to interpret it to understand things about the universe. 
So here's what we're going to look at. These are just the units of the chapter. Uh, we're going to start really this time in looking at waves. So we're going to start looking at waves, light waves, and other types of waves to try to get an understanding of waves. We will look at the electromagnetic spectrum. That's light in a way, but it's all kinds of light. We're used to talking about light and thinking of visible light, the stuff we use here to see. You, know, you see me in visible light. But the electromagnetic spectrum is much more than just that little teeny tiny portion that is visible light. There are things like infrared radiation, ultraviolet radiation that you've heard of. Those are all part of the electromagnetic spectrum. They're also just like light, our visible light, but with different wavelengths, different energies. There's also radio waves, x-rays, gamma rays. So the electromagnetic spectrum is much, much wider than the little tiny portion that we're used to. And we can use that to really learn more about the sky. And then what we'll look at next week is uh, different types of radiation, the radiation we get from stars, and how we study that. We study that through spectroscopy, which is something we'll look at in the uh, next week in the lab. Uh, we'll be looking at spectroscopy. We'll be looking at the spectra of various elements and seeing how we can tell what things are made up of. And that's really what this whole section is about, is how do we know what a star is made up of? Are you told I can't go get a sample? I got samples of the moon. We have some samples of Mars. We have samples of some comets. But for the most part, what am I going to do if I want to know what the sun? How do I know what the sun's made up of? No, I can't go get a I can't send a spacecraft to the sun to scoop a little bit of it and bring it back to study. It's not possible. And even if we could do that, oh, how about the stars? How about the galaxies? The nebulae that we looked at? How do we go get samples of those? Everything that we understand from them, including knowing what they're made up of, comes from understanding the light that comes from them. And then finally, we'll finish up with the Doppler effect, which is a way not to learn about what things are made up of, but to learn about their motion. The Doppler effect tells us how they're moving. So that's what we'll be working on this week and into into next week and should be finishing that up hopefully by Friday if all goes well. Alright, so let's first define what we mean by electromagnetic radiation. Um, electromagnetic radiation is a various types of light that we can see. Visible light is one example of it. That's the light that we see here. Light that I'm using projecting up on the screen. But it's not confined to just that. This is the formal definition which really says that it's the transmission of energy through space without any physical connection, meaning that it does not need a medium to travel. Right? Sound waves need something to travel through. If there were no atmosphere in here, well, other than us all being dead because we couldn't breathe and I were sitting here talking, you would not have heard anything because the sound has no way to get to you. I speak, it vibrates the air molecules, those vibrations travel through the atmosphere to your ears. If there were no atmosphere, I could keep moving my lips and nothing would be getting to you. So, but electromagnetic radiation is quite different than that. It can travel through space. So it can travel through a vacuum. It doesn't need anything, any medium to travel through. Which is good for us, otherwise would there be any astronomy? You got a vacuum out in there in space, we wouldn't get any sunlight, we wouldn't even be here, right? The radiation couldn't get here to Earth, so it wouldn't be warming us up. If electromagnetic radiation couldn't travel through a vacuum, there would be no universe. 
What would be happening? We couldn't get light from any, light couldn't travel from one thing to another. We'd never be able to see anything, including things like the sun. So it'd be awful cold here. Wouldn't be getting any energy from the sun. It couldn't travel through space. So the difference with electromagnetic radiation and others is that electromagnetic radiation needs, does not need anything to travel through. Sound waves do. Uh, water waves travel through water. You have to have some kind of medium for them to travel. Um, electromagnetic radiation does not. It's done through uh, electrical and magnetic fields that vary and sort of a continuous process where one field gets stronger and that and, or one field starts getting stronger and it changes its strength and that creates the other field and it's an ongoing process. Alrighty, so that's just the formal definition. Let's look at a little wave here and the different parts of a wave because this is um, what we see, any kind of wave. So let's think of a water wave, something you're familiar with, something you can actually see. The waves go, have a peak, they have a highest point, which is called the crest. That's the top of the wave, as far, as, you, as far high as it goes. It also has a lowest point, a trough, as low as you can go. So as high as you can go up here, the lowest you can go down here. We define the amplitude of the wave to be how high it is, but not measured from the bottom, but measured from where everything, where all the material would be if there were no wave. If the wave were not there, every, all the material, all the water would be sitting nice and smoothly here. So the amplitude, how high the wave is, is from here up to the top of the crest. So that's our definition of the amplitude. Uh, the wavelength is the distance between two successive crests. So how, low, how far apart are these? Well, in a water wave, what might that be? Depending on the water, it might be a few centimeters, might be meters, you know, depending on where you're looking. Uh, when we talk about light waves, we're talking, you know, billions of a meter. So really, really teeny tiny measurements in terms of how narrow these waves are. That's why we can't see a light wave like this. The wavelengths are too tiny for us to see the wave in this kind of manner. Now, when a wave moves, the wave moves but the material does not. It is not physically moving the material. You've probably seen this if you've ever uh, watched waves on, the, watch waves on the ocean, watch waves in a lake, and if there's something sitting there, the waves go by and it bobs up and down, but it doesn't physically move, or at least not very quickly. Right? If you watch a stick there and you have the waves going through it, does the stick move right to shore with the first wave that hits it? The wave isn't physically moving the material, anything on top of it, or the water itself, it is a disturbance in the water. So the water bounces up and down where it is, but the water is not physically moving. Question, yes ma'am? Okay, when it's hot outside, you can see the, the waves mm -hmm. like coming off the ground or off the front of a car. Does it have anything to do with like light waves? The waves you're seeing there, it's more of the, it's the heat. It's the heat coming up, yeah. yeah. Um, another example of this without the, phys with the physical transport section. Uh, we have, what, a gas, yeah, a gas link up here to hit up the Bunsen bur burners if you're heating up something. If I turn that on, you'll hear the sound almost immediately, right? You'll hear the sound. Will you smell the gas immediately? 
Now it takes a little while. The sound is a wave and it travels through the atmosphere. The particles travel. Yeah, they'll get back there if I left it on long enough. Eventually it would get pretty bad in here. Uh, but you wouldn't notice it right away. So the material is not traveling near as fast as the waves are. So the sound waves would start coming out, but it would not be pushing the material along near as fast. So any kind of wave that works. Any kind of water waves, anything else. The energy is being transmitted, but we're not physically moving anything. You could have a happy little duck sitting here bobbing on the water, and it's not pushed to shore every time a wave comes by. It sits there, it might go up and down a little bit, but it's going to sit right in the, same, in the same spot. So the physical material, the water itself, is not actually moving as fast as the wave. The wave moves much, much faster. So here's an example of the water wave. A uh, little diagram there. You have a stick sitting there. You throw a rock into there, create a nice whole bunch of water waves. The stick, does it slowly move? Yeah, it's slowly going to get a little bit of energy from that wave and slowly move. But the waves are going to go right through it and it's going to more bob up and down, staying in exactly the same spot. But the wave does move. The wave can transmit energy. Right? If you get enough waves hitting the shore, they're going to slowly eat away at it over time. So energy is being transported, but not the material. The water waves, what is trying to be shown here is here's everything straight when nothing, when there's, when, before you throw the rock in. Afterwards, well this one, par, particle one bobs up and then it's back to the middle and then it's down. But it hasn't moved. The wave has moved. The peak went from here to here to here. But that particle is still exactly where it was. That's the whole idea of a wave, is that it's transporting the energy. The wave itself, the disturbance is traveling. But the particles, the actual water molecules, are not traveling that fast. They're essentially sitting in the same spot. Yes, yes sir? Is the reason that nothing, like the stick doesn't move, is Newton's laws of equal and opposite reaction? Um, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't want to move. There's no, without an external force on it, sufficient, it's just this little disturbance. Will it eventually be imparting something to it? Yeah, it's going to be imparting something. And slowly that stick would move a little bit if you measured it. There's a little bit being pushed there. But it's not going to move near at the speed that the wave did. So, yep, good. Alrighty, we'll define a couple of other terms, a whole bunch of terms to define here with waves. Uh, we talked, I talked about wavelength already. I talked about the um, crests and the troughs. Well, we have the frequency. Frequency of the wave. Is how many wave crests pass a point every single second. So, if you're standing in the pool, there's waves coming. If 10 hits you a second, Right, and sit there and count them. One, two, three, ten. At one second over, ten of them hit me. Then your frequency would be ten, you know, ten waves per second. If you got waves coming slower, you might get two or three waves per second. If you got waves coming faster, you're getting could be getting a lot more. What we see with light waves is that we can have, you know, millions of wave crests passing you every single second. That's how tiny they are incredibly tiny and they're moving very quickly so you could get a very large number. But the frequency is just how many pass you every single second, any given point. 
the period is the inverse of this. The period is how long it takes from one the, between the passive passage of a successive crest. So the crest hits you now, how long do you have to wait? Well, if 10 waves are hitting you a second, we'll use our same number there, then a wave hits you every tenth of a second. So if this is your frequency, the period would then be one-tenth of a second. Every one-tenth of a wave, every one-tenth of a second a wave hits you, or 10 waves are hitting you a second. It's just two wa different ways of saying the same thing. And that's what the relationship between them there that's given. They're just an inverse relation. The period is 1 divided by the frequency. Typically in astronomy, we measure things in frequencies. How many things are hitting, how many uh, crests are passing every single second. That's typically how things, how things are measured. So frequency is how many pass you every single second. Period is how long you have to wait for each one to hit you. Now it's a little bit different with things like water waves. They're not quite as regular, right? They might come a lot, or you know, if you're trying to stand there at the ocean, it might not be an exact number. It might be, you know, 10 right now, but it might be two later on, depending on how the waves are coming. With light waves, it's going to be very consistent. Any specific type of light will have a very precise frequency and a very precise period. Okay, a couple more. We have the wavelength. Wavelength is the distance between the crests. So depending for visible light, that can be very small. That could be measured in billionths of a meter, which would be something like, say, 550 nanometers. Nanometer Nm is a billionth of a meter. Right? You've heard of meters. You've probably heard of centimeters, a hundredth of a meter. A millimeter is a thousandth of a meter. Well, one nanometer is one billionth of a meter. That would be like a wavelength of visible light. If you were looking at radio, Radio has much longer wavelengths. You might get something like, oh, let's just say four centimeters. Or longer, there's a variation, but radio, you could get something in the four centimeter range. So you're actually your wavelength would be something you could imagine. Can you imagine that tiny, little tiny hundreds of nanometers? You know, On this, each of the little tiniest divisions is one millimeter, one one thousandth of a meter. Okay, We can get some comprehending of that because we can see it. This is uh, billionths of a meter. So you've got to take all of those and divide them into million pieces. Very, very tiny wavelengths. Four centimeters, at least we can understand. You know, that's a radio wavelength. Uh, they vary. They can be a little smaller than that. They can go up to being actually meters or several meters long in radio wavelengths. So just giving you some ideas of what the numbers might, uh, might be. Uh, if it were a water wave, what the wavelength might be, you know, how far apart are the waves? Are they a meter apart? Are they half a meter apart? How far apart are they? Could vary, again, depending on how turbulent, you know, how, what's going on in the ocean that day, or what's going on in the lake where you're watching the waves. And then the velocity is the speed at which the crests move. How fast, do they, how fast are they moving? 
and the velocity is equal to the wavelength divided by the period. How far is it from crest to crest? How long does it take you to get from one crest to the next with that wave coming? If you divide the two, you can actually get the velocity. And that's equal to for light waves. Light waves travel at all at the same speed, 300,000 kilometers per second. Not for water waves. Water waves, you'd have to calculate it. You'd have to figure out what is the wavelength, what is the period, and divide the two. It's always going to come out, the velocity is always exactly the same for light waves. We know exactly how fast light waves travel. That's the light here. That's the light coming from the sun. That also includes things like radio waves and x-rays and gamma rays. All travel at exactly the same speed, about 300,000 kilometers per second. All right, so a bun bunch of definitions there to start out. A couple other terms that we'll mention. I think we looked at the first one. I think I mentioned the first one early on. Uh, diffraction, I don't think I gave it the name. But I talked a little bit about the, we looked at the picture with all the galaxies in it. And I said there were a couple stars and you could tell they were stars because they weren't, they looked like this. They had a little plus sign through them. They had a little cross through them. So they looked like this. That is actually due to diffraction. What you're seeing there, and we haven't done telescopes yet. Telescopes are coming up. But when we look at a telescope, if you look down the tube of a telescope, there's a great big mirror on one end. And there's a little tiny mirror up here to help you gather that light. And that little tiny mirror that's sitting here up at the top of the lens, going on the top of the mirror uh, telescope, going all the way down, has to be held in place. It can't just float there magically. So you have to attach it. So it gets attached to each side like this. You have, you know, beams that go out and hold that extra mirror in place. You need something to hold it there. Well, when the light comes through, the light bends around these beams that are holding it. And that pattern shows up in the star. Anything that is a point of light, like a star, will show up with that kind of pattern. So any, if it's taken with this kind of telescope, we're always going to see that pattern through the stars, especially through the brightest ones. That is what we call diffraction. And that is just the bending of the light around an obstacle. We're putting an obstacle in the way of the light. You know, we'd love to not have those there, but if we take them away, that mirror tends to fall down and crash into the big mirror and cause all sorts of problems. So we need some way to actually hold that up. And that causes a little bit of a problem when we're looking at especially very bright stars. We get this diffraction pattern. We see it in water waves, too. It's not confined to light waves. Uh, been out at the oceans with the breakwater there, you know, trying to shield some of the shore from waves. It doesn't act like you would expect it to. If you put something there and you're trying to block light or something, you cause a nice shadow, you wouldn't get anything over here. Waves don't behave the same way. They actually bend around an obstacle. Does it help? Certainly, otherwise we wouldn't make them. It certainly minimizes how strong the waves are hitting the shore, but they still come around and you will get some waves in there even with this out in front. 
So that's what diffraction is. Diffraction is just bending. The wave will bend around an obstacle that's put in its path. So you can't just block a wave as easily as you can block you know, a regular part, a bigger particle. The other that we get, the other term that we get is interference. Waves actually can add together. They can actually subtract. Interference is just adding up two waves. So what we're showing here, there's this wave in the green. Goes up, up so high, down. Here's another wave in the yellow, yellowish orange. It goes down and then up. If those are the two, the two water waves, for example, what you're going to see, you don't see the two waves on top of each other. They add together. So you're going to see a smaller wave than this big one is what you're actually going to see in the water. So you can actually add waves together. You do this with uh, what noise-canceling headphones, right? They take the sound that's coming in, flip it upside down, and broadcast it back at the same intensity, and it wipes out the sound. You don't hear anything. So you can blast two sounds into your ears, really loud ones, right? Jackhammer, blast a really loud sound into your ear. If you invert that and blast that sound into your ear at exactly the same time, they cancel out and there's nothing. The two waves will cancel. They can also add together, so you don't want to do it wrong and make it twice as big. Uh, the other place that you sometimes see this, or that you often see this, is uh, well, we're coming to the end of summertime, the, the wave pools. If you go to one of the water parks, they've got the wave pool where they put the big waves coming in. Well, they've got several different machines creating waves at the front. They each create waves of a certain height. And you'll see at some places they add together and you get these gigantic waves. If you walk through it, you'll find other places where you can pretty much stand there and barely even notice that the waves are coming. That's because at those places, the waves are just exactly matched. And you're going up, and this one's going down, and where you're standing, there's no wave. It's there. There's a real big wave that's tall, and a real big wave that you're hitting a crest and a trough at exactly the same time, and boom, they cancel out to absolutely nothing. Now, if you get the crest adding up, you know, that's where my kids like to go, where the waves are, you know, three foot high, four foot high, where they're the real big ones, where everything is adding together. But you'll get that kind of pattern. You can find it. If you walk across that during, while the waves are coming, you'll notice that there's some places where you're getting, you're getting pushed back by the waves, and there's other places where you can just stand there. So waves can add together in that way. They will either get larger if you get them at the same, get the crest matching with the crest, or you can eliminate them. If you match the crest with the trough, you'll end up getting no wave at all. So diffraction was bending around an obstacle. Interference is that you can add them, uh, add or subtract the waves to get, and what you see is just the result of adding up, in this case, two waves, but you could add up three or four or ten. You know, how many do you have? How many waves do you have, or mechanisms do you have creating waves up at the front? You could be adding multiple ones together. All right. Now, I've already mentioned this a little bit. I talked about things like water waves and sound waves that I've used as a lot of my examples here. They need some sort of medium to travel through. So they can't just travel through space. You can have the biggest explosion you want on the surface of the sun. We're never going to hear it. Right? That sound cannot get through, the, get through to us. It might travel through the solar, through the solar atmosphere. As soon as it gets out to space, it's gone. You're not going to get anything because there's no medium for it to travel. 
Electromagnetic waves do not need that. They can travel through anything. They can travel through nothing. They can travel through the vacuum of space. Again, fortunate for us otherwise. You know, if that stopped right now, all of a sudden it would get quite dark because the light from the sun would not be able to reach us. It would start getting very, very dark and very, very cold if the electromagnetic waves did need something. A little bit of this gets into a little more detail than I want to get for the, for the class as to how they're actually created. You can accelerate charged particles. That can create electrical fields, which creates magnetic fields, and I don't really want to get into all the details of how it's created. I want you to get the basics of it. I like you to know, you know, certain things tra have to travel through a medium. Water waves, once it reaches the shore, it's gone. Yes, ma'am? I always thought, you know, space is mm -hmm. full of dust. Yes. Wouldn't that be a medium that sound could travel through then? It would be. but. That dust, even in those dense areas that we were looking at, is maybe, you know, in a box like this, 10 particles. Whereas, how many particles are there here? Well, billion, billion, billion in every little cubic centimeter in our atmosphere. So it's not that it's not, but, it, that's, but space, even with all that dust, is a better vacuum than we create here on Earth. So yeah, there's technically there are particles there, but there's just, you know, one here. One here, one here. There's not enough to transmit that. But good question. Yes, there is. There are particles out. There are particles out there. So I'm not going to. Don't worry about the images there. I'm not going to go through all the details of that. Um, I really wanted to go through the section on the, the how they travel. Here's a little bit just to show you kind of how they work. They are oscillating electrical and magnetic fields. So what you get in the red is an electric field. Electric field gets, hits a peak here, drops down, and hits its lowest point, then goes back up. What happens is that a changing electric field creates a magnetic field. So as this electric field is changing, as it's going down, it's creating a magnetic field, and the magnetic field creates. As it gets down to the bottom, now you have a changing magnetic field. And that's creating an electric field, and they build on each other. So the changing electric field creates the magnetic field. The changing magnetic field creates an electric field, and they just keep creating, recreating, and recreating each other from the time it was formed by that particle way back, and that travels out into space. So once they form, they don't need anything else. Water waves need water particles to travel through. Sound waves need the atmosphere or something solid to travel to travel through. Uh, but these waves do not need anything else. All they need is once they, once they form, it just goes on perpetually until they reach something else, until they interact with something else. But it's just a combination of the electrical and the magnetic fields. All right, let's get on to the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, I'm sorry. I can go back for a second, but the slides are up on D2L. You can. So what we're going to look at is really now the entire electromagnetic spectrum. So we're going to look at the entire spectrum. We're used to looking at, you know, this is what we're used to. In terms of astronomy, 100 years ago, this was astronomy, was just looking at this little portion. Uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet. That's a teeny tiny portion. I should say this is even slightly to scale. 
Uh, to scale, you're looking at more like a little tiny section as part of one of these beams is what the, what the visible light portion of the electromagnetic spectrum is. It's a little teeny tiny part of everything there, which includes radio waves and infrared way off to one side. If you go beyond the red light, right, we've seen, you've seen this before, where you take white light, blend it through a prism, and you get the rainbow. Well, if you go off beyond the red, there's actually more light there. There's actually infrared and radio waves that go much further out. If you go to this side of the violet, you'll get ultraviolet, x-rays, and gamma rays on this side. They're all the same type of light. They're created in the same way. They travel the same way. They all travel at exactly the same speed. The only difference between them is their wavelength. What is their wavelength like? Well, visible light might be between about 400 and 700 nanometers, billionths of a meter. Radio and infrared will be much longer wavelengths, going up to many meters long for radio wavelengths. Ultraviolet, x-ray, and gamma rays are even shorter. So if you thought 400 billionths of a meter was tiny, imagine what the gamma rays are like. Much, much shorter wavelengths. So extremely short wavelengths there. Very high energy. So the wavelengths get longer as you go from this case from right to left, you get much, many, much longer wavelengths. The energy goes the opposite direction. Radio waves have the very lowest energy. Visible light is in the middle, up to gamma rays, which have the very highest energy. But the big thing I wanted to mention here was that, again, 100 years ago, in terms of looking out at the sky, this was all we had. All we could detect was visible light. We had no way to detect infrared, radio waves, ultraviolet x-rays, gamma rays, we had no way to detect those. So everything we knew about the universe was dependent on just that little portion of the spectrum. It was in the 1920s we started understanding radio waves. 1930s we built the first radio telescopes. So it's been, you know, 80 years we built the first radio telescopes. Radio astronomy really didn't blossom until after World War II in the 1950s. So even you know, 60 years ago, most of what we knew was still in the visible part. That's all we knew everything from. Now since then, we've expanded greatly. Radio astronomy has taken off. We now have ways to actually observe these other wavelengths. We have technologies that allow us to observe those. So instead of observing that picture of the day, what did we look at? We looked at a nebula today. Instead of looking at it in just visible light, which is what we did, we can also study it in infrared, we can study it in radio waves, we can study it in ultraviolet x-rays and gamma rays, and we can get a more complete picture. Instead of looking at just this little tiny portion of it, we're looking at the entire picture and we can learn a lot more about the object. Question? Do astronomers believe that there's more um, lights that they can see in, and it's, you know, not just the radio, the infrared, the ultraviolet? What do you mean, more than? There are the, these. These. This is it. Radio wavelength goes. Radio wavelength. They don't. They don't end. There is no end to the radio part of the spectrum. It just gets longer and longer wavelengths. Meaning you could get wavelengths that are meters long, ten meters, a thousand, the size of the moon, the size of the Earth, the size of the salt. Well, it never ends. Could we detect some of those? Well, how you're going to get an object, something that can detect a wavelength that is bigger than the solar system? You'd need a telescope even bigger. 
wouldn't be something you can do. But there's no end to it. It goes on forever. Same thing with the short wavelength. It goes, so there's nothing else. We're not looking for something else that would be beyond here. It's gamma rays, the shorter wavelengths, until you get them to the wavelengths are you know, the size of an atomic nucleus. You get down to a limiting size as to how small you can get. But there's nothing else. But again, but 100 years ago, we didn't know about all these. You know, we knew vaguely about some of them, but we had no way to detect them from space. And I'll show you that. I think it's in the next, next image. Yep. So here is a little bit better to scale up at the top. And maybe this shows a little bit better what, I'm look, what I was talking about here. Here's the radio waves. Uh, microwaves in the front here and just goes all the way out and it just keeps going. You know, they might start out the size of a fingernail and get up to human size skyscraper, Mount Everest. You know, how big can they go? As big as you want to. Big as you can possibly imagine. Could we ever detect them? There's some there that we're never going to be able to detect. They're just too long of a wavelength. There's visible light, this little teeny tiny portion which was everything in astronomy from ancient history till less than 100 years ago. That was everything. We st- everything we learned about was just in that part of the spectrum. And there's infrared, ultraviolet, again, x-rays and gamma rays again. But what I want you to notice down here is there is also this little image. Where it's blue, that means our atmosphere is opaque to it. Our atmosphere is solid. It blocks out all of that kind of, all of that wavelength of light. Sort of like the walls. Right? The windows let the light through, but the walls do not. The walls, visible light, are opaque to visible light. They do not let the visible light through. Do radio waves get through? Right? Your cell phones still work in here? You know, you're not, not too good. <laughs> some cell phones still work in here. Uh, but if you get into some buildings that have a lot of metal structure to them, it, and you're in a big build, it can be very hard. You can really disrupt the structure. They can then become opaque to radio waves. So the radio waves aren't getting through. Here you can usually get, you know, if you have a radio, you could usually pick up a signal still inside the building. So while the walls are opaque to visible light, they're not opaque to radio waves. The atmosphere is opaque to gamma rays. means gamma rays don't get through the atmosphere. It's opaque to x-rays. We kind of like that. You can imagine if all the x-rays and gamma rays from space were bombarding us here on the surface of the Earth. It wouldn't be very pleasant to be constantly x-rayed with all of the material that is coming from, from space. Uh, it wouldn't be very good for us. It would eventually rip us apart. So it's very nice. Our atmosphere blocks out all of that. Blocks out a lot of the ultraviolet until you get very close to the visible. It blocks out a lot of the UV. A uh, little bit of the, the UV that's close to the visible gets through. That's what burns us. Right? If you're out in the sun, at sun during the summer, that's what burns you. It's the ultraviolet radiation is what does the burning. Higher energy particles. Some of that does get through. Um, visible light, that's why it's all white here. This is the optical window. That's where the visible light can get through and can make it right down here to the Earth. Otherwise, if it were not, we wouldn't see the sun. All the light would be being blocked out. Uh, in, when we get out to the infrared, You notice it's kind of choppy there. Some parts get through a little bit, some don't. You can detect some infrared from Earth, but not all of it. Little bits of it here, especially close to the optical, you can actually detect if you get up high enough in the atmosphere. It doesn't make it all the way down to the surface of the Earth down here, but parts of it. If you get up on a high mountain, you can actually do infrared astronomy. You can actually observe things in the infrared. Better yet, launch a satellite. 
Okay? Couldn't even think of doing that 100 years ago. Now we don't think of it at all. You put a satellite up here, up above the atmosphere, and it can easily see X-rays and gamma rays as well as infrared, uh, ultraviolet and infrared. A lot of the infrared is blocked out here, the longer wavelengths. And then there's another window that, where material is left through, which is the radio. So from about a couple centimeters, centimeter or so, out to about 8, 9, 10 meters, that light, that radiation can make it through the Earth's atmosphere as well. So in some ways, you know, astronomers hate the idea that light can't get through. We're blocking out certain forms of electromagnetic radiation that we just cannot see. But it's nice not being x-rayed constantly. You know, kind of do a lot, do a lot of bad things to our, to our cells. All right. So I know a lot, a lot up on this one. Um, the atmosphere, and I've already talked about a lot of this, the atmosphere is only transparent to a few things. To most of the other wavelengths, the atmosphere is like a complete solid. It doesn't get through. X-rays don't get through, yay. Gamma rays don't get through, yay. Most of the ultraviolet doesn't get through. You know, you don't get burned worse than you'd get burned because you don't get the higher energy particles. What we can really see from the Earth is visible light. Yeah? We can also see a lot of the radio spectrum and a little bit of the infrared. The rest of it, anything we want to look at in the rest of that, we have to get up above the atmosphere. In some things, we can use an airplane. For infrared, we can use airplanes, we can use balloons, anything that gets us up above the vast majority of the atmosphere. Tall, high mountains work really, really good for infrared. There are lots of infrared telescopes out in Hawaii, up on top of the mountains there. You're way up above most of the atmosphere, and you can actually observe infrared. Which is interesting because infrared is really absorbed by water. So it sounds kind of odd that you'd put the infrared telescope right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. But you're up so far, you're up so far up above the atmosphere that there's no water there. There's hardly any water vapor if you get up high enough. So that allows a lot of the, a lot of radio, uh, infrared astronomy to be done from high mountains. So you don't have to get up in space to do that. Radio telescopes and optical telescopes are really the only ones that exist down at our level here on the, on the Earth. Can't observe anything else. If you want to study x-ray emission from something in space, you need to get up above the atmosphere. If you want to study gamma rays, you've got to get up above the atmosphere. And we'll talk about each of those a little bit more when we come to our unit on telescopes. Uh, the other thing, the bottom is just a note asking you to refer back to that previous chart. And I'm going to go back there for just a second and I'll come back here. Uh, this is a different type of scale. This is a what we call a logarithmic scale. It goes by powers of 10. So instead of counting by ones, you start with one here and going one, two, three, four. Each mark is one and then ten and a hundred and a thousand and ten thousand and a hundred thousand. It goes by a factor of ten each time. That allows us to really see this because you can imagine if we started with a wavelength of one meter and then we wanted to go up to two meters and three meters and four meters and five meters, it would take us quite a while to get to those real long ones you'd have to have this chart extending across multiple pages. Whereas all the rest of this, that last meter would be stuck in here. So everything we've stretched out here to expand it would be condensed into this little tiny section. 
So it's what um, scientists use as a logarithmic scale. Instead of being counting by ones, you go by powers of 10. So you go 1, 10, 100, 1,000 on your markings, not just by individual counts there. So let me put that back up for you. And that's, what, that's all the last part is showing is that there'd be no way for me to really accurately show you radio waves and gamma rays on the same plot without doing that type of scale. But I'm going to come back one more time, and I know I've said it several times, but this has really been a big advance in astronomy in the last few decades. If you think about it, for, since the ancient times, what did we observe? We observed visible light. A hundred years ago, we were still observing visible light. We had no way to observe the whole rest of this electromagnetic spectrum. Now, we were looking at that little tiny portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Now, we can not only study that nebula in visible light, as we just looked at today, the one we looked at at the beginning of the day, we can also look at it in radio waves. Learn something completely different about it. See completely different um, areas, uh, completely different parts of it. Some things are very bright in x-rays. Some things emit a lot of x-rays but don't emit a lot of visible light. Well, if we look at them at visible light, we're not going to see anything. It doesn't mean they're not doing anything. They're just emitting in a different part of the spectrum. So to really get a complete picture of any object, we want to look at it in all across the entire electromagnetic spectrum. Are we about, we're about set there. I'm going to go ahead and stop with that one, and then we will pick up on this and look at, am I right? That's right where I thought I wanted to be. Okay. Yeah, and I'll pick up and we'll talk about the different types of radiation on Wednesday. So, if you want to take a break, stretch, I will get the stuff ready for our lab today. And we'll start that here in a, about, about 10 minutes or so. Questions? Should... Nope, nope, nope. Alrighty.